Hello! Welcome to Everybody Pray, Everybody Gay! A queer exploration of teenage bounty hunters. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and we're not going to skip any of the gay stuff. And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member forever and always of the Church of Sterling in April. Uh, and we come to you tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the fifth and sixth episode of Teenage Bounty Hunters, but in addition to just kind of the general uh, hellscape of our world this week, we have the devastating news uh, that Teenage Bounty Hunters has not been picked up for season two by Netflix. Oh, man, like, this is such, this just really, this is, like, true 2020 fashion, right? Like, this was supposed to be our celebration of, like, the show finally getting, like, explicitly queer. We, I've been, like, texting you. I'm, like, so excited for this episode. I can't wait for us to talk about it. And then it's, like, our discussion. Um, You know, obviously, this is, like, far from the worst thing to happen this year, right? But it's, like, it's yet another loss, and particularly a loss of something that, has brought us a lot of joy in a dark time. Um, I know, like, I I totally support keeping the hope alive for um, it to get picked up by another network or streaming service. Um, but I also think that there's, like, it's also okay to, to feel that loss and to kind of feel an element of mourning. And um, whatever happens, I'm just really glad that we still get to celebrate the beauty and delight that was this show. Um, I'm so sorry for the people involved in making the show and the people who have seen themselves in the show um that that it's that it did get canceled by netflix um but i also think that this is like a good reminder of why fandom is important because we can create joy out of the pain and we can kind of keep these stories alive in some way or another um and netflix canceling teenage bounty hunters does not cancel our love for the show or these characters or the way that these episodes made us feel um, and to, to kind of throw it back to, uh, to, to our, our main show, PLL, it, it, I was kind of thinking about uh, Spencer's quote, uh, her Winnie the Pooh quote, when everybody goes off to college, you know, how lucky am I to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard? Oh, that's really well put. I sincerely hope somewhere else picks up this show because it's fun. It's funny. I don't feel like it really got a chance to find its audience. Yeah. I really wish that we had uh that we had just gotten they, they were nowhere near out of stories to tell i feel like these characters had uh a long way further to go uh i would have happily traveled that road with them i hope the show lives on either on another network uh or you know in comics form or just i really hope this isn't the end of the road uh for this creative team because it's been a fantastic story so far uh, it, I love uh, that it's it's gotten so queer, as we're going to talk about in these episodes. And man, Netflix, you know, they canceled one day at a time. Glow is also going off the air now. Like, this is a lot of, I, I mean, you know, as Jen Richards said in, um, you know, in the Disclosure document, documentary, uh, the answer to, like, bad representation is more representation. Mm -hmm. uh, and I appreciate that Netflix has produced a lot of these shows that give us additional queer representation, but I wish they would keep doing it. <laughs> and renew them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish this yeah. wasn't, I wish it wasn't a case of, like, Lucy and the football every time you fall in love with a queer show that they're doing. Um, 
and man, Teenage Bounty Hunters has been such a fun ride. Yeah, and and I texted this to you. You know, I feel like we're a couple weeks out from Shit's Creek, just completely dominating the Emmys, and that was a show that was, you know, quirky and a little unusual, and you know, took a while for people to really latch onto. It was also a very unapologetically queer show, and you know, six years later, they've won every Emmy that they could possibly win, and so it's like, I I that Netflix and just sort of Hollywood in general would kind of take a note from that. Like it's important to give shows time to find an audience and um, you know, and it's, it's not even a thing of like, Oh wow. Like this is like, this show has so much potential. It just, it just isn't quite there yet. Like this show is there. Like it's, it's there and it, it could just keep getting better and better. Um, And it also just, I was saying this to you too, like it just sucks when you look at like, you know, like the CBS comedy lineup and it's like 10 stupid shows about like a white man and his wife that he hates. And, and, you know, and then it's, you know, a a great show like this or like, like Glow, which is also a show that I really, really enjoyed um, getting canceled. It just sucks. Like, it's just a bummer. But I hope, I really do hope that, that it will get picked up by, by somebody else. Well, yeah, and this is like this. This show is so unique. It's not like it's it's not like there's anything else quite like it out there. So it's not like a crime procedural when you have 100 crime procedurals that are already on television. Like this show is not like any other show. And I feel like maybe that's something that worked against it in terms of you know them looking at whether or not they were going to be renewing it. But I I think that was one of the real strengths the show and uh I agree. the thing I, I signed the change.org petition i hope that that does some good who knows if it will or not it can't hurt to show that there is an active fandom for the show certainly uh but a thing that i said on there was just that i wish that the show uh had existed when i was a queer teenager and i wish that it would continue to exist uh for me now and for people who are coming to grips with their queerness as teenagers at this time Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I mean, not to not to pit teen shows against each other, but I sort of feel like um, in a post PLL world, this kind of show is like much more interesting than like a Riverdale or like I feel like so many so many shows try to sort of do the, the kind of the teens the the teens fighting crime format in one way or another and um at a certain point it just starts to feel like a copy of a copy of a copy and what was so refreshing about teenage bounty hunters is that it felt like something new it felt like we were actually seeing new notes played of that sort of same song of like you take some teens you take some crime you put it together in a blender and you see what happens and this was something that felt really like a fresh take on kind of a, 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 I mean, obviously this isn't like the same genre. This is much more of a comedy than something like Riverdale. But like, I have been very, very sick of all of these sort of gritty teen dramas of the last few years. Like I just, I find them kind of repetitive and boring. And so this, I was just so taken with the, the originality of this show. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So 
anyway, um, keep the hope alive, but it's also okay to feel sad. And we just hope that we can we can make you smile a little bit uh, while while you listen to us celebrate the show. And we are absolutely going to finish out our series and do whatever we can to to continue celebrating this show because it it 100% deserves it. It did not. Um, I, I have read a little bit in the past couple of days about how like it was really um, not adequately promoted by Netflix at all. That is is really a travesty. And um, it wasn't it wasn't even put in the um, in the in the LGBTQ section on Netflix. Oh my gosh! Uh, for people to see, which I guess maybe somebody, maybe people felt like that was a spoiler or something. But you could easily put it in there without saying like which character is queer, and and that's I think how a lot of people um, have like a, an aspect of the show that so many have connected with, obviously. So yeah, yeah, and Netflix, Netflix did not like. I didn't find the show because Netflix suggested it to me in any of the you know you want to watch this things. I started watching the show because I read about it on Autostraddle and then I told you and I told my sister yeah. and I told like all kinds of people. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely didn't come to it through like a regular route of Netflix promoting it to me. And every person that I've talked to about it has not heard of it, but if they watch an episode after I badger them enough times, they love it. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's a great show. It deserved better. Hopefully it will. Hopefully it'll have like the the magic trajectory of one day at a time and get picked up by somebody and, and get to run a long, a long time more. Right, right. Minimum, it needs the Firefly treatment of getting a movie to wrap up the ends that are still hanging loose out there. Yes, yes. We need we need to know. We There's so many things. There's so many answers that we need. There's so many things we need. Yeah, we just, we need more. We deserve more. 2020's been hard enough. We deserve more. It's so true. So true. Oh, well, should we, should we get into, uh, to the episodes that we actually came here to talk about tonight? We should, we should. And just kicking it off is an episode uh, that is about change and it's about feeling alone and uh, it's called Death is Bad. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, yes, yes. It's about, it's about, uh, it, it's, Yeah. It's about crossing over, in a sense. <laughs> it is. It is. That's a great way to put it. Um, I, I feel like the episode is a lot about the known and the unknown. Yes. Yeah. I, I wrote down a few a few ideas of like what the the quote unquote theme of this episode is. You know, I think in general a theme of this series is like the life you want might look different from the life you had planned. Um, and it's also okay, like kind of what you're saying, it's okay to not know what you want. It's okay to be uncertain. And then also just that idea of like, you must change your life. Like sometimes mm -hmm. you just, you just must change your life because you can't keep going on the way that you're going on. Yeah. Um, so the sort of this episode sort of begins with um, with a death. It's a very sort of six feet under style opening, actually, where um, Mr. Kuntz, who was the substitute teacher who lived a very a seemingly very solitary existence, chokes on a sandwich and dies. And that sets this whole episode into motion. Yes. And it's really um, 
It's really a great opening. I feel like Teenage Bounty Hunters has some of the best openings this side of Law and Order uh, because they have these like little mini stories. Like this reminded me very much of the shopkeeper who was like, you know, the happily yeah. going into work and then the head of the Confederate statue was like laid out on the street, um, you know, because he's just like going about his somewhat unremarkable life. Uh, and then he he dies on the bench eating the sandwich. Uh, and so we don't know a lot about him. We know he's a very mild-mannered person. You know, people are cutting in front of him to get to the microwave. He's getting, like, Egg McMuffin on his shirt and tie. You know, like, these are these are just the kind of things that we, that we get a sense of. Uh, and then he dies. And uh, it's, it's one of those, uh, you know, in, in the Christian metaphor... Uh, he dies so that everyone else's lives may be transformed. Yeah, he's sort of the Vander Jesus of uh, of of this this episode. He is. He is, and this is he's a substitute teacher at the school, so he's not. He doesn't even have like his own regular class. He's a substitute teacher, and his name is Mr. Koontz. I love um, I love the way that they show the student body reacting with the sort of faux grief. Like everybody needs to be the most heartbroken over the death of this guy that like they didn't care at all about, you know, and sort of the the performative grief for social media, I think, is is a really um, accurate element of this episode. Um, and and in the kind of the the fallout of all of this, Sterling is really out of sorts because of her forced separation from Luke. Uh, they cannot hang out at all uh, if it is not a school related activity. Um, Blair, meanwhile, is planning to have sex with Miles while her parents are out of town. And uh, there's going to be a lot of kind of um, Blair feeling anxiety and uh, sort of uh, putting that off onto onto the death of of Mr. Coons. He becomes this real sort of lightning rod here in this episode. Well, he does, and he's also a real Rorschach uh, for yes. for the other characters uh, that they're all kind of imprinting on him and on his death, like whatever particular message they're working through. Exactly, exactly. And there's some discussion about whether or not he is going to heaven because he was agnostic. Uh, and very early in this episode, we see that we we see more cracks in the Luke and Sterling relationship. You know, Luke, he's like set up this activities log for them where they are just writing down like every aspect of their day to share. He has like their funerals planned. He has their wedding planned. He has their whole life planned. And as the episode goes on, Sterling is starting to kind of have this reaction of like, hmm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I would find it, like, I feel like I would find it off-putting now, like, in my adult life. Uh, and I, I certainly would have found it off-putting when I was, like, 16. If someone was telling me that they had, like, our joint memorial services <laughs> planned for, like, after death, like, I, I, I would not be into that. I mean, certainly, you know, forewarned is forearmed certainly this is a time when tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us or democracy but uh i still feel like luke is really um i, I think that actually like him putting the specter of eternity on a table <laughs> like that uh is definitely something that may have um it, it may have been a little too much even for sterling well they have such a classic um 
dynamic happening here where she the more she pulls away the more he pushes the more she pulls away the more he pushes um and they can he can he's he's feeling her slip away like that's that's what's going on in this episode and um so he's just trying to like hold on as tightly as he can um oh go ahead well i was gonna say we talked last week about how everyone in this world like you're supposed to grow up and become your parents like that's what your parents are raising you to do and luke very much is still like he wants to do that he wants to be the captain of the golf team he wants to go to uga like his brother and his dad and his grandfather and he wants to continue basically failing upward his whole life uh and his family probably has enough money to make that happen uh but sterling maybe we're learning in these episodes does not want that particular trajectory with him (laughs) <laughs> maybe not so much yeah there's she has an uh, a little line that will be important later in one of these early scenes where um they're talking about the fact that mr Kuntz died alone and sterling says something like she can't think of anything worse than being alone and that's when luke rushes in with his plan for their you know their joint death and memorial <laughs> and all of that and um by the end of this episode, like I'm so proud of Sterling because she goes on such a on such a journey with that concept of um, of being alone and sort of being her own person. Yeah, well, I I feel like I was talking about like you were saying, you know, it's crossing over, and I was saying like this episode is about like to be known and to be unknown, and I feel like there are so many times when we see like like the idea that Mr. Coons is agnostic, which isn't a disbelief in God. It's just saying like, you don't know, like you don't know if there's a God, you don't know what comes after this. Like, it's just, it's unknowable to you in in this life. And you also have like for Sterling and Luke, like the idea of either of them being alone is this great unknown. Like it's a state they have not been in since we learned fifth grade. Uh, So, you know, it's unthinkable. Like, it's clear yeah. in this episode that the idea of them breaking up has literally never crossed Luke's mind. Like it, it almost can't like it can't filter in through his blood brain barrier, even <laughs> as Sterling is saying the words to him later on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And it, gosh, I was thinking so much about the couples on PLL during this episode <laughs> and like specifically, I feel like, um, Really, I think the couple I was thinking the most of was like Hannah and Caleb, because they feel like the couple in some ways that got that that like their fate was sealed earliest in in the show, I think. Like the idea that like they are the OTP, everything else be damned. Like that was decided, that was written in the stars <laughs> many moons ago, many moons before uh the you know, the last episodes of the series. And then, you know, they just sort of plotted along grimly towards the finish line, as we've talked about. And I just, I was like, oh, man, this is the show that Hannah Marin needs to be watching. Like, <laughs> just, Yeah, it's yeah. it's a show that lets the characters grow and it lets yeah. them break up. And I love, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I love yeah. that the breakup happens. And I love when she says, like, this isn't anybody's fault. People grow out of things and so I love that like there's not neither of them is cheating on the other one Mm -hmm. neither of them is like you know there's not like an insurmountable 
obstacle that's keeping them apart. Like he's not going to college 3000 miles away. And so they have to break up. Like, it's not a situation where like, I don't know, like someone's amnesiac ex-girlfriend has returned <laughs> and like someone else has an alien pregnancy. And so, you know, like it's not, it's not like a telenova. It's just like how it happens in real life. Sometimes it's not anybody's fault. He didn't chew with his mouth open. She didn't, you know, like, she, you know, he didn't see her like getting out of a car with another guy and jump to a wrong conclusion. And so it's going to be like years of misunderstandings. None of that happened. They're just two people. And one of them has realized they need to be apart. And she doesn't have to justify it. Like wanting to break up is enough of a reason to break up. Like you don't need anybody's permission. You don't have to have like a whole file full of reasons. Like you feeling like it's not working for you anymore is reason enough to break up. And my goodness, I wish that were true for like every other teen show. Yeah. Nobody like accidentally hooked up with anybody's secretly British twin. Like, <laughs> Right. There were no cases of mistaken identity and sexual assault. Like none of that, none of that entered into the picture. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, but here in the early part of the episode, Luke and Sterling devise this plan that they are going to uh, plan a memorial for Mr. Koontz. Um, Sterling is more seems more into the idea of like no, actually the memorial is just happy that they have a reason to hang out at school. But somebody doesn't like the idea of Sterling and Luke spending all this time hanging out together at school. Somebody. Oh. Who who might that be? Who might that be, Joanna? I, I have a couple of ideas, and uh, they're all spelled April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, April would like to make this a threesome. Except oh, really man. she'd like to make this a twosome, and Luke could just, like, leave. <laughs> I, I actually, I love, I had completely forgotten about that remark. Uh, but rewatching this, knowing what we're going to know in just a few short episodes and like the way that she like says that and then has a brief look of like disgust and horror on her face for the fact that she did just say it out loud. Uh, that is a really nice touch. Well, yeah, I mean, just again, it's like April sort of packaging her desire to be near Sterling as like extreme grief and like her, try, you know, sort of waving the, the the flag of like, oh, well, I'm fellowship leader. Like I have to be involved in this. Um, but also I love that, like, again, it's all of their scenes together. Like they're so dialed into each other. Like Sterling has memorized April's stance on substitutes. She can just like rattle it off. No big deal. Um, and then Ellen is just great because she's, she, she, it simultaneously tells us about the memorial that she would like uh, and also reminds us that Sterling and April used to be quite close and that she would really like them to like rekindle their friendship. Yeah, she definitely ships the two of them, it seems like, uh, and might be writing April Sterling fan fiction on AO3, like under uh, like under her own name spelled backwards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. But I love, like, I love the little glimpses we get of Ellen's inner life. I think she's a really compelling character. Um, and then another character whose life we get to know a little bit more about is Bowser, because we see his apartment for the first time. 
his apartment, like the back of the yogurt shop, it is not a space where someone is living their best life. Like, that is not what you see. It looks like, it looks like the, um, like on HGTV, like on the, uh, on the home makeover shows or like the love it or list it, like his whole apartment just looks like the before picture. Like there's nothing on the walls. The mattress is like on the floor. It doesn't even have like, yeah, it's a, it's, you don't look at it and think that a happy person whose life is going well lives there. Man, this scene is so funny, though. Like, the the twins in his apartment. Like, a pant, the, like, pant versus pan conversation when he refers to Amazon. Like, it's, it's <laughs> what, like, man, the show is so well-directed. Like, it just, it, they let, they let all of those funny moments breathe. And um, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. They, they want a tour. And the tour yes. is like, this is this corner of my apartment. That's that corner. One of them is like, I'm so sad you lost all your stuff in a fire. (laughs) Well, one of the one of the themes of this episode, too, is, you know, in the the last ones that we talked about, uh, the twins had decided, you know, it was their mission to fix Bowser. And in this episode, they seem much more invested in his life. They're asking for a lot of personal anecdotes. They, um they're going to be really starting to get quite invested in his relationship with Yolanda. Um, they are really interested in like being in his physical space, like his living space. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is like another, like the twins and Bowser. And also I'm going to say Blair and Bowser are moving from like kind of unknown quantities, but getting familiar into more known quantities. Like they're getting to see yeah. more of his lives and we're going to see like the first big moment of Blair going to him for emotional support later in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, yeah. His apartment though, I'm just going to say like a madman, a madman reference is like when Don Draper is trying to sell his fabulous uh, penthouse that he and Megan lived in before they divorced. And he like had a, a, a drunken, hook up with like that stewardess and they spilled wine on the carpet and he just threw something over it and never cleaned it up and his real estate agent says like it looks like a sad person lives here <laughs> who spilled wine and didn't bother to clean it up for himself like that that is sort of like the vibe of of Bowser's place I feel yes nobody who lives here is thriving like yeah, right Right. You know, there are no yeah. house plants. There, no. No, no, no. There's no. Um, somebody, however, who is thriving is Terrence Coyne, who we meet like we've seen him before, but now we like officially meet him. Um, he is, of course, the like YouTube sensation bounty hunter who um is also um uh Yolanda is also his bail bondswoman. And I like, I, re- I really like this character. I like that he isn't a total asshole. Like he just takes himself a little too seriously. Um, but there's a real sense that he has a, a longstanding rivalry with Bowser. Yes, true. And that he is um, like April. He's a lot of his own facade. Like he's a lot of his own marketing. Totally, totally, totally. Um we meet the the skip who is Cherry Grigio, uh, an exotic dancer with fifteen grand and unpaid parking tickets, who constantly evades 
slash injures Bowser. Um, the twins talk him into to taking her on. Uh, Yolanda loves her just because she's like very entertaining. Um, and uh, yeah, so they're sort of reluctantly, at least reluctantly for Bowser, going to be going after her. Yeah, well, this is another, like, this is another example of the known and the unknown. Like, she is very much a known quantity to Bowser, uh, but somehow she always gets away from him. Just, you know, and and you get the sense when we do meet her that the two of them have some chemistry together. They have, um, you know, like she, she later says, and you may or may not believe it because it's an opportunistic moment, that she's always had a crush on him. And you definitely... Uh, get a vibe from him that if things were different, maybe the two of them, you know, they they have some stuff in common. They they vibe together um, pretty well. So you you get the sense of like one of the reasons that he might be reluctant to take her on isn't really because she's slippery, but because like there's there's just a little bit of something there. Right, and and Bowser, I think, is a character at this point who's like his emotional range like he would like his emotional range to stay in a very limited zone like he does not want to be attached to anybody he does not want to feel feelings towards or about anybody he wants to be a human island um and unfortunately like he can't be because like there you know there he he he's a human and he has a heart and he grows to care about people yeah yeah um but yeah so we have that's a whole like you know when we say keep an eye on the skip like I feel like uh the skip kind of forcing Bowser into like some less comfortable emotional places is also like uh you know it's just indicative of what's going on throughout the episode for all of the different character arcs Mm -hmm. it's true it's true um Blair meanwhile becomes obsessed with this idea that Mr. Koontz is trying to communicate with her from the great beyond um she has a line that just just her delivery just really made me laugh where she's talking about this to, to Sterling and Luke jumps in and she just goes, of course, the man is co-opting the conversation. <laughs> and then I think she's like, love you, Luke. Like, I, I really enjoy the relationship between Blair and Luke. Um, there's a there's a sense that like, they don't neither one of them really get each other, but there's like definitely like mutual affection there um, and, and history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she does not love him, but she's willing to try. Exactly, exactly. Um, And I found this really, Blair's journey here really interesting because so much of the the religion aspect of the show we see through Sterling's perspective. But this is really the first and and probably the only episode where um, the more sort of religious conversations in the episode are are centered in in Blair's storyline. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. You get the sense, or, or I get the sense, as we watch the series unfold, um, that like faith is much more of a living thing for Sterling. Uh, like it's mm-hmm. something, uh, it's something that is a force in her life. It's something she believes in deeply. Uh, we hear her quote the Bible repeatedly. Uh, for Blair, it seems much more of like a convention, like going to church is something that she does. Being at this religious school is something that she does, like because of circumstances, because of who she is. Uh, But it doesn't seem to be like, and even, even when she's praying in this episode, uh, you don't get the feeling that that's like 
a comfortable thing for her. Right, right. It's not something that that comes as naturally for her the way that it clearly does for Sterling. Mm-hmm. And we should also like, so like Blair is extremely worried about uh, the idea that Mr. Koontz, because of his agnosticism, could be, uh, as Miles has suggested, in purgatory or in limbo, uh, which I'm going to assume that Miles is Catholic uh, in that uh, in that those are both somewhat Catholic concepts. Um, and so Blair becomes really interested in trying to move Mr. Koontz's soul out of those, uh, you know, transitional spaces to get him into the kingdom of heaven uh, and, and very much as a way to, I think, sort of distract herself uh, from the fact that there is like uh, this big date coming up with Miles where she may be moving from like the known the known area of like she's this girl who's been wanting to have sex for a long time into like a different space where they will have had sex and that's going to be like a new reality for her as she puts it into the land of sex people which is (laughs) right right yes yeah yeah um and meanwhile you know luke is feeling really concerned and insecure about his standing with sterling um sterling is just like she's she's really thriving like she's she's enjoying um her newfound love of adobe she's like interested in in exploring new things um everything kind of comes to a head in this scene where Luke, where um, Luke is playing his music, Sterling is like doing something related to the memorial. April is like coming up with some truly wild decor decisions <laughs> that she and Ezekiel and Hannah B are throwing around. And um, April, in in typical April fashion, dramatically quits, uh, announcing that Sterling will never let her shine, and also pointing out that Sterling will now be responsible for the eulogy. Which leads uh, Sterling and Luke to try to uh, learn more about Mr. Koontz, which initially seems quite bland. Um, and also, another little moment of foreshadowing, Luke brings up a memory of somebody playing mini golf alone. Yeah, this is, um, like, I really will give, you, you, uh, one of the things I've been keeping an eye on as we've moved through the series is keeping an eye on Sterling as a, as a not very good partner Uh, to whoever she's with. And I will give Luke a lot of credit uh, that he is frequently calling her out over her lack of effort in their partnership. Like he mentions to her about how she didn't do the activity logs. Uh, And then he like requests her participation uh, in helping him to write that song, which culminates in like, she's trying to talk to someone and he's just like yelling her name louder and louder and different variations of her name from the stage. And like, it's not like she doesn't hear him. He is very loud and she is not that far away from him, but she like lets that go on for a time, hoping it will stop before she turns around. Uh, contrast that to how effortlessly April gets her attention by I simply know. stalking up to her with one of those intense glances. Yes, yes. Um yeah, there are also aspects of Sterling and Luke that feel very Spencer and Toby to me. And <laughs> those scenes where Luke is just like trying and failing to get uh, Sterling's attention, that feels very Spoby to me. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Well, and also we've talked before about how Luke doesn't have a really good home life. So sure. I don't think he really has like 
seen good communication modeled from his parents who hate each other, but he's trying here. Like he is definitely indicating like, cause they're in a weird space. Like they, their parents have told them they need to put push pause on this situation. Uh, he is really still putting in a lot of effort into maintaining their connection. And like you said, he can tell that Sterling is slipping away, but he doesn't know what to do about it. So he's just like pushing harder and it, it winds up pushing her away. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, Blair lights a Bible on fire. <laughs> Very entertaining. Um, and uh, then they end up at a strip club. Oh my God, this scene of them at a strip club. I love it so much. I love the way that Sterling is like immediately, like her mouth is open for so much of this scene, like just hanging open uh, in, in this like, reverent way. Uh, I, I really love that as foreshadowing for Sterling being queer, but I'm also going to say some foreshadowing for Blair maybe being queer because <laughs> her reactions at the strip club are also, uh, she's very into it. Like what is one of the first things she says? Like she's like kind of like dancing and she's like, you are sensual madame or something. Yeah, is it like, sensual? Like, is it seductive? That, it's um, like something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. They are so into it. They are so into it. And it, it is interesting too, like the slight difference in their reactions, like Sterling is, she just seems almost like overwhelmed with like, oh my God, you know, like <laughs> what is going on? Well, you know, I also feel like a thing that happens with strip clubs on TV is that they always look like really fancy places. Like even the ones that are supposed to be sort of seedy, like I don't think the Bada Bing is supposed to be like the world's nicest strip club. Uh, but like, I guess on Sons of Anarchy, I would say that's a show that has like appropriately divey type strip clubs. But this is, this is like a, a good like down market one. Like, you know, it's, it's got yeah. holes, it's got mirrors, it's got music, but it's got like a sirloin buffet, uh, you know, that, <laughs> that Terrence <laughs> likes to eat at, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not like the fanciest place, but it is more than enough for the twins. They are, it is the sexiest place they have ever been. And they say that. They yes. say that. Yeah. I, I, the strip club on Friday Night Lights always cracked me up because they would be wearing <laughs> like seven layers of clothing <laughs> because it was Friday Night Lights, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah, like Tyra's sister oh. strip club getting those tips wearing like 12 bras. <laughs> an excellent, yes, an excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's everybody sort of shows up. So so Cherry Grigio is at the strip club. Terrence Coyne is also here just to like hang out and like bug Bowser seemingly. Um, and we learn that Cherry has a baby. Uh, the twins are very excited about this baby. Um, and they also are learning more through social media about uh, Mr. Koontz's life that he did lots of really cool things just solo, which is something that is interesting to Sterling. Yeah, previously the things that they knew about him on his teacher profile, I want to give a real shout out to whoever put this together because his teacher profile for the school site, his favorite going to the movies, his favorite food was oatmeal, his favorite beverage was ice water, his favorite place is the plains, <laughs> his favorite sport is walking, <laughs> 
his hobby is brick collecting. <laughs> his favorite restaurant is the drive-thru. And his favorite flower is ivy. So previously, they were definitely going on a pretty limited, uh, a pretty limited set of of information. Well, Mr. Coons, it's okay. My favorite sport is also walking. So <laughs> now, do you consider that as like a, your favorite sport to participate in, or like your favorite sport to watch? Like, if there was a, if there was like a walking sports sports world of walking on television is that something that you would watch and you'd be like "Ooh, good for him or like "Mm, no you know heel toe heel toe like do you feel like that uh no i no i should clarify it is my favorite sport to participate in not uh not not to not to uh not to not to watch although you know i've never i've never watched it who knows Okay, I mean, we're in pandemic times, so I would probably watch that if it were on, (laughs) to be honest. Who knows? It could be great. Indeed. So, but yes, uh, we're learning more about him through his Instagram, such as that he, you know, he did skydiving, he summited a mountain, he cooked tiramisu, he traveled and stood on lily pads and I am going to ask you something about this because like these photos that that we get of him on his Instagram I don't feel like they look like selfies do you think that they look like selfies or do you think someone else is there taking the picture of him oh man this is a very like PLL sleuthing moment uh, well, um, because if it's someone else taking the picture of him, my follow-up question is, do you think he might have been gay? Oh, well, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I picture that headcanon now. Um, oh, and then the connection between between him and Sterling would be like that much more. Oh, I love this. I love this that he had to like stay closeted because of like his position at the school or whatever. And so he like like hid from social media that he had a partner. Oh, I'm into this. I'm very into this headcanon. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily what they're implying, but I'm I'm into it. Yeah, well, I like also in his uh, like staff profile in the school, the picture of him, he already looks dead. Like his <laughs> eyes are closed and he's very pale. And then on his own social media, he's like so active. He's like so happy. He's skydiving. He's doing all of these. Like everything is so colorful. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, also it could just be that like he asked somebody to take the picture for him, or it could be a you know Emerson Press stills situation. Um, <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> but um, no, I I like I like that take a lot. I think that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, sure. It could just be that someone else happened to summit that mountain at the same time that he did on that day when there was no one else around for miles and miles. And they happened to be there to, like, take a small video of him. That is possible. (laughs) Totally, totally possible. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. Um, So we have this great pep talk that Bowser gives Blair. Blair is like, losing it kind of like she thinks she sees she thinks she sees Mr. Koontz like playing pool she like is freaking out about um you know like 
heaven and hell and what happens after you die and what's going to happen after Bowser dies. And she's going to be this old lady who's just constantly being haunted by people. Um, And he suggests a pretty radical concept to her, which is that heaven and hell are constructs. There's zero way to know what what happens to you after you die. Um, So why kill yourself worrying? Just like live your life. And um, I think it's I think it's a great mindset. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Uh, And so he's presenting this to her like it's also an agnostic worldview. Like you don't know, you can't know what's true. Uh, And and that's like interesting because she was drawing a line between Mr. Koontz and Bowser as like older dead guys who might frolic around playing pranks on her in the afterlife. Uh, And this is a this is a line that Bowser is drawing not only between himself and Mr. Koontz, but between himself and Blair, like he's giving Blair the option of believing this, which yeah. is not, it, it's just not something that's been presented to her before. Right, right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great. I'm glad that it's something that she's being exposed to. Um, and yeah, and it seems to, it seems to comfort her. Yeah, and this is like their first big moment of emotional connection between Bowser and Blair, between the two of them like kind of sharing a moment together uh, and and really like getting into like the meat of their relationship. Right. Well, I also feel like it's one of the first moments of the twins seeing Bowser as wise in a way that's not just related to like, oh, he's got this really cool job like that. He that he actually might have wisdom and life experience and opinions about the world that are different from you know, their upbringing, but are completely valid and and useful for them. Yeah. And also he takes her seriously. Like when she's talking about this haunting, like Sterling hasn't been taking that seriously. Like she's like, Blair is being very dramatic, which Blair is being very dramatic. Uh, And Miles, he, he does take her seriously about it. He engages with her on it, but he's also interested in their date and what candles he's going to bring. And, you know, like, he he's wrapped up in all that. Bowser really like listens to her and gives what she's going through the weight that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And then I like that immediately after that, he kind of like he he's made to look like kind of a fool because there's this uh, there's Cherry does this this set that's pretty long. Like it's this long, you know, dance sequence. And uh, the twins, of course, very into it. Uh, and then he there's this point where she like gets surrounded by the other dancers and he thinks that she is going to try to escape that this is her, like that they're like helping her, helping her get free. And, um, it's just a wig change and he spoiled her whole set. Um, and, uh, he apologizes and then she immediately eats an edible and can't be brought in until it clears her system. (laughs) Yeah. The, the dance that he and Cherry are doing in this episode is is its own thing, and it's great. Also, Cherry's sister named Apricot is the one who shows up to take the baby and to give her this edible. And, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot going on with her. She keeps just, like, kind of kicking the can down the road, uh, hoping that an opportunity to escape from Bowser will present itself. Yeah, but, like, not even exerting too much energy or concern in the process. Right, right. Yeah. And she's now going to have to spend the next 12 hours with Bowser, kind of like right. still still indicating that they do deep down like each other. 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, then it, it's it's the memorial time, and Luke is like practically in wedding planning mode. Sterling wants this to be tasteful and focused on Mr. Koontz. Who walks into the funeral then but April? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> April is like so tricked out for mourning. April could like walk into a Rosewood funeral and be completely like she would fit in. She has this like long black dress and this dramatic veil and a pillbox hat. And she's like weeping and kneeling down and like gnashing her teeth. She also, she has a, she has music when she enters. Like yes. she has like a musical cue that like Hannah or Ezekiel is playing for her. Okay. So here's a question. Who makes a more dramatic entrance at a funeral? Jenna Marshall or April Stevens? Oh, man, it's hard to say because Jenna has, like, the tap, tap, tap of the cane, but April has, like, a a musical soundtrack that she brought. I mean, I almost want to say April. Well, I feel like it's sort of a, like, um, it's, like, the difference between, like, a very, like, subtle acting performance and, like, a very over-the-top acting performance, and they're both equally great and delicious. It's just, like, a different flavor. Well, I mean, April also has narration. Like, she has provided Hannah B. with, like, some lines to say about April's grief being greater than anyone's, even those of them who've lost all six grandparents. That <laughs> made me laugh so much. <laughs> even though some of us have buried all six grandparents. Oh, man, Hannah B. and Ezekiel are the standouts. Like, there's also the moment when they're talking about uh, their own funerals and Ezekiel says like promise that you'll just have me stuffed and Hannah B's <laughs> like I can't promise you anything we've always agreed that I'll die before you <laughs> they're so <laughs> good they're so good we need season two just so we can like learn more about the two of them we do we do oh my god they're so funny here <laughs> they're so funny they're so funny um yeah and April falling on the ground um saying the wrong name of the man in question is just really, really great. But, you know, I mean, I think that there's another way to look at this, too. I I mean, it's hilarious. But there's also the way to look at this that, like, April is somebody who actually is going through a lot of grief right now because of the whole situation with her father and basically, like, grieving the man that she believed him to be. And probably, you know, we know something we know and we'll learn more about April is, like, she is very good at compartmentalizing and has probably not really allowed herself to feel the depth of that grief. And so in a weird way, this situation is probably providing her a very sort of strange little outlet to be dramatic and emotional and over the top. Well, I think that that's a great point. And I also like that she's wearing that veil because when we're talking about like uh, you know, the the difference between life and death and, like, the veil between worlds. And also, we're about to see a moment when it looks like the veil is just falling away from Sterling's eyes. Like, there there is this idea of, like, the moment before you know, the moment you do know, the veil that separates them. And here's April, who, like, cracked just a little bit in this episode when she said threesome, but didn't mean to. Like, she, like, accidentally invoked a specter of her and Sterling that she did not intend. Um, yes. And also, like, if you're looking at April, if, if you're looking at April and you're thinking about, like, how over the top her grief was about this, 
you are not thinking about the way that April might be looking at Sterling. You're not thinking about like, you know, April is doing this to control the narrative, to control the narrative of her own story. Completely. 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 I mean, it is actually very Jenna Marshall in a way, you Mm -hmm. know, that Jenna, Jenna walks in and, and is, you know, invokes fear because that's one way of controlling a narrative that, um, that, that could go really bad for her if it went a different way. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's also oh, very Allison. It's very Allison. Too. Oh yeah. Allison and Mona, like just the yes. mask and, and the presentation yes. uh, that you're putting out there. And this is really like, we've seen it before. We saw it in the episode, like where we first met April when she was, you know, going through the photos of, of her uh, Christian mission trip where they were knitting the sweaters for the, <laughs> the ugly sick babies um (laughs) but like april is like very much into curating your experience of her yes yes absolutely absolutely yeah it is it is she will control every aspect of what you see she will she will uh and she will continue to do that up through uh, some critical moments in the next episode but here we are here we are still at the memorial and oh, oh my. <laughs> would you be referring to Luke's song? I, I would. <laughs> yeah, this is where, this is where it all just sort of, all the wheels fall off the wagon and kind of cleans down the hill. I mean, there's a lot um, Luke is trying really hard, but he has been playing guitar for approximately five minutes now. Yep. Um, songwriting is still, let's call it a developing skill on his part. Sure, sure. Yeah, that that it's 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 something that it needs a little time to flourish. It needs to marinate yes. a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, what else? do you have to say about yeah it's long it's a long it's it's long it it has a it has a a very long note that he holds (laughs) very long and just when you think it's over it it goes on um yeah it's it's impassioned it's an impassioned performance Uh, it is it it starts out about the memorial um yes but it it takes a turn (laughs) it takes a quick, a quick breakneck. Like I grew up in Cleveland, and we had what was known as Dead Man's Curve. Uh, it really, <laughs> it really takes that sharp, that sharp arc. <laughs> yes, we are suddenly, we are suddenly careening into uh, him just screaming Sterling's name. Uh, and you know, I gotta hand it to the actor who plays Luke. He really gives this his all. And he commits to it with such sincerity, too. Like, Luke is not in on the joke. Like, it's very clear. It's very clear that he is not. And he feels like in in doing this performance, like, this is what he thinks is the answer. This is what is going to, like, win Sterling's attention back. 
Yeah, I I have to believe that there were a lot of bloopers of people just like losing it on set when this scene was performed because it's just it's 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 so much. It's so much. And just everybody's gobsmacked reactions are endless. Uh, Sterling is like clutching the podium. Yes. <laughs> and like and like looking out over the audience like as if she's just like begging for like something to <laughs> something, anything to happen that's gonna stop this. Yes, yeah, anything, anything. It's really, it's really, it's really something. And the way that it's put together where like it, it cuts out because Blair leaves the auditorium and she goes and she has a scene with Miles in the hallway. And yeah. so like they have a whole conversation. This actually, it's a really great conversation where they discuss like her uncertainty about what she wants. And, yeah. and like, I love that, like, I love that they give characters the ability to be uncertain on this show and to have that be like acknowledged and recognized by other characters and for other people to be like, I'm not sure either. I, I think that that's so refreshing, but like they go out, they have a fantastic scene in the hallway and then it cuts back to the auditorium and Luke's song is still going. It has not stopped. It has not ceased. Yeah, it's like getting kicking into verse number. Yeah, no, I love I love Blair and Miles' conversation. You know, I I love that. Um, you know, he's making it very clear, like nothing has to happen. Like it, they they can have sex or not have sex. He just wants to be with her. Um, and this whole idea of like whatever happens, we'll we'll get through it together. It's a really sweet sentiment, and it's um, I'm glad. I, they, like they just they have a really sweet storyline in this episode um and then sterling finally is given the opportunity to give her eulogy and she gives this great eulogy about you know how mr coons learned about himself and got to do what he wanted to do by being alone and how being alone sometimes is just what you need and it is not the same thing as lonely and we can all learn from that um, he waved at life ellen loves it she's in the audience she's like i'm waving at life i'm waving at life sterling <laughs> And then April gives this Sterling this look that it feels like um, I can only describe it as like April is regarding her like she's just really she's just really like taking in the image of this this self-assured Sterling and uh, she likes what she sees. Yeah, that's very clear. I also want to give a shout out to Hannah B and Ezekiel when Luke's song is over and Hannah B, who I've previously described as like the dim bulb Christian, is like politely applauding for Luke's song and Ezekiel has to like <laughs> reach over to like stop her on that. But then they both begrudgingly clap after after Sterling's uh, eulogy is done. You know, Hannah B and Luke might be a great couple. Oh, I mean... Yeah, I, I can see that. I still kind of like Blair and Hannah B, but uh, I, I feel like if it was like Luke and Hannah B, like, I just feel like I hope that they have like really in their house. Like, I hope they have really like solid GPS and like a good Alexa and like as many uh, as many uh, systems of assistance as possible to help them navigate the world. Yeah, I would, I would hope for that too. I would hope for that too. 
So uh, then we get this great Sterling and Luke breakup scene. Uh, I love that even, you know, even when they're breaking up, like April is top of mind. Sterling has to bring her up pretty quickly into the breakup. Um, they talk a little bit about the circumstances, how they got together. Luke asked her out after they won middle school most popular. Uh, she points out that she and April were only separated by a few votes. He thinks it was fate. She says that it was circumstance and it's not enough anymore. There are things that she likes that she didn't didn't even know that she likes, that she has recently discovered, which, oh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but like, this is such a great conversation, you know, they, she talks about, um, how she wants time to herself, how they shouldn't be tethered together. She doesn't want to have her whole life planned out. She wants to be able to like experience things. Um, but like you highlighted earlier, like it's not anybody's fault. Luke, obviously like he has a really hard time with this. He worries that he, um, that he didn't, you know, treat her well enough that he, that he maybe didn't try hard enough. And she she assures him that that's not the case. It's just that they're kind of they're kind of outgrowing this relationship, and um, it's it's just it's a it's a sad hard convo, but it's a good convo. Um, and I'm really glad that like you know like you talked about how there's not cheating. Like I'm so glad that this happens before any of the stuff with April becomes you know main text because like it's just really good that they can end in this like sort of loving respectful way and that that sort of can make the space for sterling to be able to to explore other other things and other people yeah and i i love how the show allows us to hold both of these things at the same time the way that sterling does it that the relationship she has outgrown the relationship it is time for them to break up but she doesn't want to hurt luke like you understand that both of those things are true but that hurting Luke is going to be necessary. She's doing this in the gentlest way that she can, in the kindest way that she can, but it still has to happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really good scene. Um, you feel for both of the characters, you know, no, nobody is a villain in this scene or in this story. You feel for them both. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where the episode leaves them on the note of this breakup. Um, we have a, a brief, um, but I think significant moment with with uh, Bowser and Cherry, the skip, where the edible has finally cleared her system and uh, she's able to be brought in. She kind of um, tries to sort of like lightly seduce him and uh, as a way of, of getting free, he actually outsmarts her. Uh, but then he tells her, you know, it's that classic thing of he he tells somebody telling the character the thing that they need to hear about basically like you can't just keep doing this. Like you can't you can't just um, one of the things one of the things with Cherry is like she doesn't believe in daylight savings time. <laughs> and I, I love how that sort of functions as this metaphor where he says something like if everybody else is telling you what time it is and you're telling them it's something different, like you've you've got to change or you've got to move. Or you've got to, like, be, you know, figure something else out. And that feels like really a metaphor for where Bowser is at. That that he's he's at a point where he needs to make some changes as well. Well, yeah. And, like, the situation with the two of them where she almost outfoxes him at the end. But then he sort of has the last laugh because he's uh, predicted what she's about to do. Um, 
it's it's sort of like the idea that insanity is like repeating the same action over and over and expecting there sure. to be a different outcome. And you get the sense that that's where they've been. And that's maybe where Bowser's been in his own life. Um, but he's kind of proving to himself that he can, you know, he can still change the ending. It's not too late. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then the final note for this episode is Miles and Blair have sex. Like, and it's this this very sweet, like, they, they don't necessarily plan to. They're just having this fun time. Presumably Sterling is, like, in her room watching sad movies. Um, oh, no. She's out, uh, she's out mini-golfing. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Sterling is out mini-golfing. Yes. Um, and, and then it just kind of happens. And it's, I really love the moment when... Um, Blair says that she wants to breathe into it and asks Miles if he will breathe with her and he breathes with her and she feels happy. And it's a, it's, it's a very, it's very, it's a very nice moment for Blair. It is. I, I really like the way that they construct this scene. Cause you see, you see Sterling having this growth of being out in the world, doing something on her own and taking pictures of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You also see, uh, Bowser is assembling a bed frame for himself, so you see growth there. And yes. then when you see uh, when you see Blair and Miles, uh, you see them making nachos. You see them watching like maybe a scary movie or some videos on her computer. Uh, you see them like tobogganing uh, in a sleeping bag down that spiral staircase into a bunch of couch pillows. And I love that all of those things are given like a fairly equal uh, amount of screen time and weight as them eventually having sex. I like that. uh, I like that. It's not like one thing is like the most prominent, even though it is, you know, it is a big transition for her. Uh, I I just like that. You see like all of these elements of them growing as a couple, which are all important. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And that it's really, it's the intimacy deepening between them in all ways that ultimately I think leads Blair to feel and Miles to feel like they're ready for the, this, this other step. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely, completely agree with that. Um, and I, I just, I like the way that all of the growth is, is mirroring, you know, the character arcs are kind of mirroring each other here. And I like the way that the episode that revolves around death uh, kind of ends with all the different ways that all of them are going to be waving at life, as, as Sterling <laughs> kind of said. Yes. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, there's a real sense of, like, they're all kind of leveling up in a way. Um, and I love that. Um, do we have more that we want to say? Because I will just say that we're going to have a lot to say <laughs> about the next episode. Yeah, yeah, I think we should, I think we should probably move on. This was a fantastic episode. It was super fun to talk about. Super Um, fun. Particularly, uh, particularly as we get towards the end of the next episode, uh, I feel like we're gonna, we're gonna have a lot to go into. We are, we're gonna have to have like a, we're gonna have to like maybe have a breather, like have a snack, like collect ourselves (laughs) and like regroup. It's true. It's true. I'm going to, I'm going to have a drink of water now before we. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good, I think that's a good choice. Um, so episode six is master debater. Great episode title. Um, I feel like this episode has a lot of themes that it's exploring. I feel like it's exploring. What does it mean to be a good person? Uh, how does our past inform our current choices? 
And what does it mean to learn new information about ourselves? How do we sort of integrate that into uh, the person that we've always believed ourselves to be? Yeah, I think that that's certainly true. I think that um, it's also about quality versus quantity in a lot of different ways. And also it's about, uh, it's about the idea of getting close to something, but maybe not, maybe not achieving it or not achieving the thing that you set out to, um, like maybe not getting something, but maybe not getting exactly what you would expect or what you thought you were working towards. <laughs> yes, that is, that is apt in multiple ways for this episode. Because you have like this episode, um, like when we talk about keep an eye on what's going on with the skips, you have all these skips. They're trying to do a skip sting. Uh, And so they're going to like offer free yogurt coupons. So all these guys are coming in with free yogurt coupons, but instead of getting free yogurt, they're getting a free trip to jail. Right. Right. Yes. And instead of a win, Sterling gets something else. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, there's, and you know, um, Blair thinks that she's going to find out what her mom's big secret is. She's kind of, cottoned on to the idea uh that that something might be up with their mom and so she's like getting she's getting close to it but she's not finding it and in in the beginning what she's doing it's like almost like a game to her like it's like a fun mystery game of like oh i'm gonna follow my mom i'm gonna wear this red wig i'm gonna be a spy and then she winds up sort of discovering that like wow, whatever this is, it might be actually a lot more serious than I had supposed. Right, right. It's it's kind of the, um, you know, you can't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really like this episode because narratively, uh, the way that it's structured, it feels as though it's building up to several pretty specific outcomes. And then it really, like, it really subverts your expectations. Like, I feel like the way that the episode is set up, you think that this is going to be the one where Bowser and Yolanda get it together. Because, like, they're really close, right? Like, they've done this whole thing. They've had this whole sting operation. It's gone well. They're drinking sodas. They're filling out paperwork. They're in this tiny room. They're flirting. And it really seems like it really seems like maybe it's going to happen. And then Bowser self-sabotages yep. <laughs> and asks about Michelle and it doesn't go well. And like Sterling, uh, it, it seems like what's probably going to happen is that she's going to win the forensic tournament unexpectedly. Uh, and that maybe it's going to be this big deal dude, John Woo, who uh, puts her over Craig the top. Will. Oh, right, right. Craig, yeah. uh, that it's going to be this dude who maybe puts her over the top and is kind of like the climactic experience uh, that she's been looking for. And then that is most certainly not what happens. Um, no, so, it is yeah. not. Yeah, I just feel like it's, you know, it's it's building uh, towards several conclusions uh, that wind up not not being the thing that is expected. Yeah. Yeah, well, and even the, the, the arc of Sterling going through the, the debate championship is, is there are many surprises because, like, she's not expected to win. She's so much considered not a threat that they don't even have a dossier on her. 
April unexpectedly is um kick you know she she loses in an earlier round than is than what is expected um so yeah there's just everybody is kind of um surprising themselves a little bit this week yeah and and also keep an eye out for everyone's Achilles heels that are on full display um we see Blair going into her kind of tunnel vision kick down some doors dog with a bone mode uh, which is going to be an issue. Like she's going to often be like, you know, damn the consequences full speed ahead uh, as the season goes on. So we see her kind of putting that on display here. Uh, we see Bowser, like I mentioned, self-sabotaging, uh, not not being able to like get himself over the finish line for, you know, achieving achieving a desired outcome or a better life. Uh, we see Sterling and her moral compass that is just like so unflappable like she can she can try to twist it but she cannot turn it off she cannot ignore it she is always going to be the person who in the final second does the right thing even if yep. it means that she does not win the debate uh we also see april and her achilles heel which is her dad it, yep. that that is exploited uh by craig Wu, and then april loses uh, so we just we see a lot of people, uh, a lot of people with like their thing that is like their strength, but also their weakness uh, coming up. Well, and again, that's that's what's going on with the skips, right? Is that mm-hmm. they they could just not respond to this coupon for free yogurt, but they they do, and that is the the ultimate thing that that you know is their is their downfall. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, and another another big interesting thing in this episode is like we're really uh, setting the family mystery in motion. Oh yeah, we see like quality versus quantity. We see uh, Deb's twin for the first time. Yes, yes, this is true. This is true. Um, Sterling is very emphatically helping celebrate Blair finally having sex at the beginning of this episode. Blair. <laughs> Sterling's like, because Blair like jumps on Sterling's bed, and Sterling's like, "Did somebody die?" And Blair's like, "Only my former former child self who was murdered by sex." <laughs> Such a dramatic and slightly horrifying way to describe that. But um, there, the sex was really good. Blair had an orgasm or sexgasm, as she will um, refer to it as in multiple in multiple points in this episode. Um, Luke is really struggling with the breakup, but Sterling actually doesn't feel very sad. Uh, and then, and she sort of seems maybe a little concerned by that reaction. Luke has texted her so many times. Yeah. So many times. Luke is, Luke is being a bit of a Lucas about this one. <laughs> he really is. He like, it still is not computing for him. He still does not understand the concept of broken up. No, he does not. He does not. Um, in the aftermath of Anderson's unemployment, the family is like, I feel like they're struggling financially, but in this way that's like so like rich white people struggling financially. It's like, oh, we'll buy the cheaper orange juice. Never mind like downsizing our enormous house, you know? <laughs> or selling like one of our, how many cars do they have? Four? Right. Five? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's some tension with the parents. Yes, yes. I like uh, I like the dynamic where like, uh, you know, 
The dad is like going hunting on a weekday. He's whittling ducks in the woodshed. Like he's just doing a lot of things um, that obviously their mom does not feel like are super helpful in terms of the financial future of the family. But one thing I really appreciate about their marriage is like contrast this with like Luke's parents who like actively hate each other. And, like, there is a real sense with Debbie and Anderson, like, there is a lot of love and affection there. Like, even the part where he, like, kind of jokingly begs her, like, don't leave me, baby, don't leave me. And you can tell she's, like, annoyed, but also finds it, like, she's annoyed that she's kind of charmed by it. And so I I appreciate that, like, like, one of, to me, one of the unexpected joys of this season is how much I ended up kind of loving their marriage um, and and rooting for them as a couple. Well, yeah, and this is, like, the model that Sterling has grown up with is parents who are equals. Sure. Sure. Exactly. And who are, who are equal partners in a way that she and Luke were not equal partners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sterling has a huge debate championship and uh, April as team captain takes it very seriously. Um, she clearly does not think much of Sterling's um, Sterling's debate skills we learned that Sterling blew it for them last year and April does not want that to happen again, which she will express by staring at Sterling through the entire meeting. <laughs> uh, did you catch this moment where the debate teacher, uh, who's a guy, he says something about, I'm going to have to like, pin you I'm going to pin you down and put my zine in your eyes. And the bad kid who we called as being queer in our last podcast episode looks really into that yes yes okay i'm so glad yes i yes i did notice that now that you mention it yes i took a note of that i thought what a just brilliant brilliant little reaction shot to to put in there i was so pleased yes yes 100 percent agreement there are a lot of queers on the debate team who knew? Yeah, I mean, Ellen, Ellen, like, she just wants Sterling and April to be friends again. Like, that's all she wants in this whole world. Um, we hear this really cute story about how in fifth grade, they tried to convince their teacher that they should study the Bad Blood music video, which is so sweet and is also, like, it's canon that Sterling and April listen to Taylor Swift. So, do without <laughs> Yeah, also it's super queer. Yes, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Um, And April is, like, very much clearly trying, like, not to be charmed by Sterling, but it's a losing battle. Um, There's just, like, they're smiling so much at each other in this scene. Um, So so April, like, she has to, like, shut it down by deflecting and calling Sterling fake, being like, we will be on the same team for this day, and then we shall be sworn enemies forevermore again. Yeah, um... You really, I, I love the, like, we saw April cracking a little bit with that threesome comment in the last episode, and then she had to, like, dial her mask back up with the veil. Uh, here, this is a situation where they're going to be spending a lot of time together, uh, and where, like, April needs a certain level of buy-in from Sterling, and you really, you really see, like, I, I just feel like, when we talk about uh, PLL and we talk about uh, Emily's version of Allison, this is where you're getting like genuine April. Like this is where you're getting to see an April that is maybe only for Sterling. Oh, yes. 
Yeah. Or it's like, it's like, it's like Hannah's version of Mona. Yeah. Like Mona's love for Hannah is the one true thing. Yeah. 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 It's really good. Um, we learned that Sterling has never had an orgasm. You will get there, my dear. Um, and Blair is like Blair, like post having sex is just so funny. Like she's just like she's just it's 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 really it's really really hilarious. She's hilarious, and she's hilariously insufferable about it. Yes, like, exactly. It, it, it has like it has like ratcheted her know it all nature up like so many notches. And I really like the scene where they're in the library and Sterling says, I would like to have some some better <laughs> boundaries right now. Because number yes. one, I love that someone has vocalized needing better boundaries. <laughs> I think that's so great and so important. And I love that she did it. And also because this is setting in motion, like the fact that like, they have been twins their whole lives. They have this deep, intense connection. But also, this is like starting a period where they are moving into adulthood and they're going to have like different interests and different experiences and they're going to need to like separate themselves just a little bit. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Blair also reveals like she told Miles exactly what she needed during sex in order to ensure a positive experience. Uh, Sterling believes that, like, you just cannot talk during sex. We learn that Blair has gotten Sterling a vibrator, which I love. And um, they have this whole conversation where Blair is, like, encouraging Sterling to to masturbate and to, like, figure out what she likes and what feels good to her. And Sterling is, like, kind of freaked out but, like, kind of intrigued. And um, ultimately the, the decision is that she will she, – she is curious about um, – being with somebody else other than Luke, but she doesn't feel like it can be somebody from their school. So she's going to dive into the dossier of the kids from the other school, which I don't think we ever get the name of the other school, but just like the other school. I think there might be multiple other schools. I think it's like a a Southeastern debate. So it's like various other places. And it's like, they all have dossiers on April because she's the captain. So I think these other guys are like the the captains or the aprils of their own debate teams sure that makes sense the sharks right exactly yeah yeah um so that's kind of that's kind of her her determination of of like what her mission for this episode will be and i like that april specifically says she doesn't feel like she can try to do this with anybody from their school because she doesn't want everybody to think that she's a slut again and uh, or I'm sorry that, that Sterling. Sterling is the one who yeah. who says that and then winds up. <laughs> I was I was getting ahead of myself with the Sterling and April business, but um, yeah, that Sterling says that because I feel like it's so cool that this episode lets Sterling have these experiences that she is directing with all these different guys, uh, and that it does not present her as being a slut. It does not present her behavior as being problematic. It presents her behavior as like healthy and like experimenting and i think that that is yeah. so fantastic i'm so happy to see that so oh, needed I, I completely agree and i love that she she gets the line where she's like god and i are cool and she kind of does this cute little like peace out <laughs> to heaven move um uh but like it's it's the it's the way that like people at their school will talk about her that she can't handle so there's no <laughs> she is not feeling ashamed she just doesn't want to deal with backlash and i i right. appreciate that 
Yeah. Um, Bowser's plan for this episode, you know, we mentioned sending out yogurt coupons for low rent skips and collecting a bunch of them. There are some definite vibes between him and Yolanda and, uh, Blair and Sterling figure out that like, well, Sterling can't go because of the debate championship. Blair is not going to go because she wants to like, let, let things, let things kind of go with, uh, Yolanda and Bowser. Um, they have this like very funny fight, like play fight outside where uh Blair is wearing Yolanda's bulletproof vest. Um but then they see it, driving a car a woman who looks like their mother. <laughs> yes, yes, who they think is their mother and they freak out that their mom now knows that they are bounty hunters. Even though I really feel like they they're supposed to work at the yogurt shop. So yeah. seeing them like goofing around out in front of the yogurt shop, I don't think that this would be necessarily their cover being blown. No, I think the thing that they're freaked out by is like the truck that the giant truck that's right. got, like fail bonds on it. But <laughs> um, yes, I, I agree. They badly try to cover this for this. But interestingly, it's clear that Debbie is also lying. And uh, it feels like this is the moment where Blair's Spencer powers are really activated. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is also like, you know, uh, a consistent theme here is like your Achilles heel. Like Debbie loves her her daughters so much, but part of that love is that she cannot tell them the truth here. Well, and also there's this interesting thing that I feel like is a it, it, it's a really subtle thing in this season, but I I'm this is this is why we needed a season 2. It's like to explore things like this. Like this idea of the difference in Debbie's treatment of Blair versus Sterling. Um, and Blair kind of talks about how, like, she feels like she's, quote, outside of their mother's cage. And so she's she feels like she's able to see Debbie inside their mother's cage. Hmm. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah. Um, we get to the debate. Uh, April is very steadfast in her desire to destroy Craig Wu. Sterling checks out the options and eventually starts just like making out with different boys. And she's totally enjoying it. Um, but she's not like enjoying it. You know? Well, yeah. We, we see, we see her with the guy who has a scratchy tongue, like a cat. Uh, and yes. she's actually, she's so focused on her, like finding these guys to make out with that she's not freaking out about her debate stuff. So she's like very calm and very confident and very self-assured in a way that is like really making a difference. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I took the note. I feel like this episode is really economic with not showing us unnecessary conversations and transitions. Like it just kind of moves swiftly from one thing to the next and we figure it out. Um, Blair, this is like, this is going to be Blair's Achilles heel, right? Is that she decides to sort of monopolize her time with Miles uh, by spying on Debbie. Yes, yes. Uh, and she's really like going into full spy mood. The, the, the bulletproof vest is out. She's wearing a red wig at one point. Uh, and like flair for the dramatic. She's really like doing this at the expense of him being at all interested in it. Yes. Yes. There's also this really interesting interaction between Miles and Debbie where she's like 
you know, saying how nice it is that Blair can spend time with people from different cultures. And he replies, it's such a complete pleasure to be black in front of your daughter. <laughs> Which is a great response. Yeah, this is uh, this like since the last episode, these two episodes are where you're really starting to get to know Miles as a character and to really like him. Yes. Yeah, he's he's very he's very likable, um, very charming. Um, and yeah, what did you think of the the topic for the debate? Oh, it's interesting because uh, the topic is reparations. I I find it so great that Sterling is on the debate team, but her flaw as a debater is that in the last, in the final second, she will say to the other person, you know, that's a really great point. Yes. Because, like, the whole point of forensics and debate is to just, like, argue whichever side. Like, there's no side that's right or wrong. It's just about what side you can argue the best. And I like that Sterling isn't actually like that. She doesn't actually believe that. Sterling believes in right and wrong. And that that is what makes her bad at debate like as good as she can be that's yeah. the thing that makes her bad at it um and i i like the idea of forensics as like because we the show deals so much with like is do guilty and innocent matter or is all that matters the fact that this person is a skip like do heaven and hell matter or is it right. just all an unknown quantity like do things exist in this black and white way that we feel like they do and with the question of reparations being the thing that's being debated, like that's also a thing that that we're seeing like play out through the rest of the episode. Like Debbie is permanently trying to make reparations for what her sister did. We don't know that, but that's definitely something that she's working mm -hmm. through and to make reparations for like this lie that she has told her own daughters and how she fears that that might be unraveling um we also see like bowser and yolanda like trying to figure out like are there things in the past that can be gotten over that can you know they maybe can't be undone but a new way could be found forward like is this possible so i just like the way and actually april herself talking about like in fifth grade you gave me yes. away to another friend group is that something you could ever make up for? You know, like, so there's just a lot of themes about that that are that are running through the rest of the storylines, as always, because this show has a wonderful amount of layers baked into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and ultimately, um, Sterling sort of trying to make emotional reparations to April will be her debate downfall, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, Sterling has this confidence boost. April is perturbed and intrigued and definitely a little turned on by it. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, she's definitely, like, I, I also like the idea that they wanted the teacher to uh, to go over the Bad Blood video with them. Because, like, Bad Blood is, like, their song. Like, you know, we used to have Mad Love. Uh, yes so it's, it's really um yeah there's there's a lot of stuff going on between the two of them well also just like the image of like these two little you know queer girls being obsessed with this music video of all of these ladies like 
you know, in all of these outfits and doing all of these badass things. Like it just, it just feels, it just feels right. Doesn't it? It does. It really does. Yeah. Um, so Bowser and Yolanda, they're not taking good care of their skips. They are not giving them water when they ask for water, which is not good. They didn't give them yogurt. They should have at least gotten yogurt. I That yogurt probably costs like five cents a cup wholesale. Come on. Yes. Um, but then Yolanda's van breaks down and we go into this little montage where Sterling is continuing to do well in the debate and make out with boys. Um, Blair and Miles are continuing to spy on Debbie doing sort of mundane tasks. Bowser and Yolanda and the Skips are forced into a small car with her on his lap. I love the shot of Blair bored in her wig. <laughs> like, she just, like, <laughs> wig. like just because she's like, I need something to liven up this afternoon. <laughs> yes, yes, that is great. Uh, I also felt like that was a very PLL moment with, like, Allison and her many, like, uh, yes, Vivian Darkbloom uh, go- going to the salon. <laughs> While wearing a wig situations. Oh man, Allison. <laughs> Allison has. Like, I feel like I feel like she's sort of a character to Blair in terms of the like. I'm just gonna be needlessly dramatic, like because I can. I mean, I guess I don't really know. Like, but if you're wearing a wig, why would you go to a salon? Why wouldn't you just buy a different wig? Because because you're Allison De Laurentiis and you want to just flounce around dramatically and oh have people treat you like an adult. Oh, I guess so. I guess so. But um, we also so we see uh, the scratchy tongue guy is uh, making out with Sterling. Uh, a guy with a British accent is making out with Sterling, and then a guy who's doing a lot of hands stuff yes. during the debate is making out with Sterling. Yes, yes. And eventually we get to the moment where Sterling moves on in the debate and April does not. She gets out dossiered by Craig Wu and April seems really rattled. We learn that that Craig brought up her dad. Also, there's an arm grab. Arm grab alert. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's been close face alert going on for like much of this episode for sure. Yes, absolutely. But it also seems like this episode has, um, it has seemed as though what's going to happen is that uh, either Sterling and April are going to face off in the debate finals, or it's going to be, you know, like, it just, it seems like that's maybe what's going to happen, or, like, you don't expect it to be that April has gotten eliminated and Sterling is moving on. Right, right. Um, And we ultimately get this this really key piece of backstory uh, because April gives Sterling the last bit of dirt to nail Craig, uh, which is that his mom has been hooking up with her trainer. Um, but when Sterling says that she doesn't think she can stoop that low, April calls her out for giving her away to a different friend group in the fifth grade. And she shares this memory that she's clearly like thought about and thought about and thought about and stewed over for years um, and it's just like, I feel like this story tells us so much about this character and it's really, it's brilliant character work. And it's also really sad. Sterling wants to talk about it. April doesn't, uh, kind of, she's kind of framing Sterling winning as like something that April is almost owed at this point. Um, what do you make of 
this this story like and how Sterling and April each kind of have a different idea of how it played out like how, what's your thought on it oh it's it's so interesting because it it seems obvious that um like April in in the story April says that she was going to sit on the st- the swings by herself and I think what was she? She was gonna like memorize all the Republican presidents or something. Like that was her plan for what she was gonna be doing. Yeah. And Sterling was going off to play soccer with like Blair and somebody else. But then Sterling came back and like handed April off to like some chick named Jessica uh, to be like in in that friend group. And I feel like uh, I feel like April feels like that was Sterling giving her away. But it also seems clear to me that. It was actually a function of Sterling not wanting anybody to be by themselves. Like it was Sterling probably trying to make sure that April had some other friends that she could play with. Um, but like yeah. April cares so much, like April cares so much about Sterling uh, that that was like, you know, band-aids don't fix bullet holes. <laughs> How many more ba- bad blood lyrics can I anticipate? Just, just out uh, of curiosity. I don't know. I, who, who, who can say? <laughs> oh man. Um, yes, yes, indeed. Band aids can't fix bullet holes. Um, that is that, that sort of says it all, right there. What What do you think of the two different, like their two different memories of it? Because it seems like. It seems like in time, Sterling kind of comes around to, to like seeing how April could have thought that way. But that's also because Sterling always ends with like, you know, that's a really good point. <laughs> like right. Sterling always can see the other side of it. Well, I have a ha- really hard time believing that the Sterling Wesley we know would ever like knowingly hurt a friend like that. Like that just doesn't seem like something she would do um, mm-hmm. unless maybe she has an evil twin, an evil identical twin kicking around somewhere. Um, so I feel like, you know, it was really like it was a misunderstanding. Ultimately, it was something that was sort of lost in the translation of of being 10 and being at recess. And that um, Sterling probably didn't even mean it in any kind of permanent way. Right. But but April, like, April just took it so personally. And so, like, April probably has grown up in a household where, you know, like, her dad is this, like, awful man. And probably April at a very young age, like, had to sort of interpret so much just based on like the way her dad would like enter a room or like if he was you know if his face was a little red or something like that and kind of decide like oh is this going to be like a good night or a bad night kind of Mm -hmm. thing and Mm -hmm. so I could definitely see her like reading so much into what was a completely innocent interaction and actually a really like lovely sentiment you know a lovely thought of like sterling actually trying to to create uh like to to give her more i could also see april um who at at this point like she's already had that interaction with with adele like we'll learn about later you know um i could see her being really on guard about coming across as too much or 
caring too deeply. And so sort of having this like policy of like, oh, you know, scorched earth, like you don't want to you don't want to hang with me once like, OK, time to move on. Like, I'm, you know, or this this means nothing, you know. Right. I, I could definitely see her doing that. I could also see like I could also see April, even at that age, realizing that she's vulnerable to Sterling in a way that she yeah. doesn't want to be. Like, like if Sterling introducing her to this other friend group can hurt this much, that maybe her, you know, like, it's it's so hard to say. It's hard to say when April knows what she knows, but uh, she definitely senses that, like, after this interaction, there is not safety in her interactions with and her friendship with Sterling. And it's also interesting, like, Sterling's memory of it that she says is that they just stopped hanging out. And we can infer that they stopped hanging out because April stopped pursuing them hanging out, like, at this point. And we also know that fifth grade is when Sterling starts dating Luke. So I think that that is, like, all of this seems to be, like, kind of tied together in this particular time frame. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we could also interpret that that Ster- that April couldn't hang out with Sterling anymore because it was too painful to see Sterling with Luke. That it was painful. And also uh, that Sterling is, we, like we've talked about her being maybe not a great partner sometimes because she's more focused on what's going on with her than she is with what's going on with the other person. I think it's also possible that Sterling maybe in fifth grade was not the greatest friend, was not the greatest best friend, uh, because she has a she has a built-in best friend in her sister. Uh, totally. And so, like, maintaining a friendship with April once she starts dating Luke is just something that she might not have, like, understood that she needed to put more effort into. Well, it also seems very possible to me that April... April seeing Sterling with a boyfriend was like a real kind of moment of like, oh God, is this something I'm supposed to be doing? I don't want to be anywhere near this situation. Best to just be done with it. Right. And since you can't say that, you have to like create this narrative where like there was, you know, there was a slight uh, that occurred. Totally. Totally. Um, I love, though, I love that this, like, functions as, like, this piece of, like, the the lore of their relationship and that there are a lot of ways that it can be interpreted. And, you know, I love that this show, like, doesn't give us, like, a, a flashback or something. You know, like, it's just, it's just, um, it just, it, it's like, it, it's almost like, um, like the moment at the end of Lost in Translation when, you know, when there's that whispered, that whispered exchange that the audience doesn't get to to hear, like, this we don't know exactly how this interaction played out, but we can put a lot into it. Yes, a hundred percent for sure. And also like while they are having this, like their, their third or fourth really intense conversation of this episode um, while they're having this, like, is this, no, it's not this moment. It's after, it's after the debate, like Sterling comes out of these discussions hoping uh, that she's, their relationship is going to be healed, that she and April are going to yeah. wind up being friends again, that despite the fact that April did say, this is like for one day, we're going to be on the same side and then we're going to go back to being enemies. Sterling actually hopes that like seeing these moments where like April 
is is being nice to her and April is being genuine with her. Um, those are like those are things, regardless of what else is about to happen, uh, that Sterling would like to have back in her life at this point. Yes. And I've just looked up the lyrics to Bad Blood. And uh, <laughs> it's it's so sad. It's remember when you tried to write me off. Remember when you thought I'd take a loss. Oh my god. Okay, cards on the table. This has always been one of my least favorite Taylor Swift songs, and, and as you know, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Um, but like, I feel like I'm gonna be I'm I'm gonna have to be listening to this more now. Well, remember when like Teenage Bounty Hunters came out around the time that Folklore was out, and we felt yeah, like the two definitely. were in conversation with one another, and wondered if Taylor Swift had like ghostwritten some of these episodes under one of her pen names. I'm just saying that bad blood is a big theme. I thought you were going to say when they're reminiscing about their old friendship, it was like, it's so sad to think about the the good times. Uh, yeah. That's what I thought you were going to go for. Well, there's another line in here. Oh yeah. Well, you know, April keeps calling Sterling fake and you know, you say sorry just for show. If you live like that, you live with ghosts. <laughs> turn into a line by line dissection of bad blood as it relates to <laughs> Sterling and April. That's just that's just what this episode is. Do you into. do we know how to do fan vids? We should really do <laughs> we should really do like a cut of this episode um to bad blood. We should we should get on that. Yeah somebody somebody should really do that. So I really love uh Sterling and Blair's text exchanges. Uh, Miles is bored and annoyed in the car with Blair. Blair has taken over their whole date with this secret mission, and they didn't even get to the fun part where they get to have sex in Thailand. Um, again, like foreshadowing, this is going to be their downfall. Um, Miles leaves. Debbie, who is sitting on a park bench, previously she'd just been like feeding the ducks. She starts to cry and then takes a phone call and starts to yell. And then sends a text lying about her whereabouts to Blair. Yeah, so it it, it is starting to seem uh, it is starting to seem like although a lot of the stakeout was really boring, it is starting to seem like there is much more than appears here. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and so it, it, I like that, like. They're having these text messages and Sterling is in the debate competition while Blair seems to be almost in a debate with herself about like what she's doing and yeah. if this is worthwhile. And like you actually see like when her mom starts to cry, you really see Blair have a moment of like, what should I do? Should I go like try and comfort my mom or should I stay yeah. here and try to find out what she's up to? Also, um, just still on the Blair could be queer too alert, uh, when Miles goes and, and she says, oh, we didn't even get to the part where we're at the end of the mission and we have we bang in Thailand. And he's like, oh, we'll do that next time. Make sure you bring that red wig. And she says, only if you wear it. Good point. Good point. Well, on the on the PLL beat, like this reminds me a lot of, of some of the scenes with Hannah and Ashley when um hannah is like recognizing like ashley's ashley's in into something deep and dangerous and she doesn't really know how to be there for her mother and and just the dynamic of that sort of naturally shifts the relationship of parent and child oh yeah a hundred percent um 
so Yolanda and Bowser have this really great but sad conversation about the past, and it really seems like something might happen between them. Um, Because they're they're relitigating the question of, like, if you had such a good time with me, why was it only one time? Like, she doesn't say, like, like... he, and he kind of says, well, like, you know, she's, why didn't you lock it down? And he says, well, like, you didn't seem like you were interested in commitment. And she's like, and my locust sister did. And he's like, well, she, you know, put out that she was like, maybe interested in me like that. And they're, they're like relitigating, uh, they're relitigating the old issues. And it really seems like they might be able to get past them. Yolanda... Yeah. Yolanda is definitely putting it down that she would be up for that. And it's almost like, and and Bowser seems to understand that. Like, it seems like they are moving together towards like a place where something's going to happen. And then what Bowser does, and I mean, I don't think he does it. I mean, maybe it's unconscious, but he does it because he's sabotaging himself. He asks about her sister and that just derails. It derails the whole thing. Yeah, and I love, I mean, I love that, like, we see them laugh together before this moment. Like, they have this kind of ex- exchange, and she has this really dramatic line about, like, what does she say? It's something about x-ray vision and I can see through shit or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and they have that, yeah, they have that nice jokey, and they're, like, finger pointy with each other and stuff. And, and, he and then he's, like, it. he's not being insulted. He's, like, you're going to miss the superpowers I do have. And, you know, like, they're... It, it seems like they're moving to a place together and then he just undoes. And it's like, I mean, is it because he's on the floor and he doesn't want to take Yolanda back to his like apartment where a sad person lives? Maybe. Is it like, you know, who knows? Who knows why he does this? Maybe it's just habit. Maybe Bowser does not believe that he deserves to be happy, but he messes this up for himself. And we also... I I love the acting work by Yolanda in this moment because you see like her whole, like it's like someone threw a bucket of ice water on her when he asks about Michelle. And then he says, he like reminisces about like a time she wanted them to go grow crystals in their bathtub. And it's like, it's like not only did he bring her up, but he mentioned that they shared a bathtub. Like it's just, it's a, it's a gut punch. It's a total gut punch. It stops the conversation cold. Um, and it's it's really heartbreaking because there's these two have they have a great chemistry together. They're really easy to root for. Um, and so seeing this moment, it's like, oh, oh, man. Um, yeah. And there's so much affection between them. It's just, um, yeah, Bowser's not he's not there. He doesn't want to. He still he still wants to be this human island, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh boy, strap in for, for this for this next part of the episode. Sterling goes toe-to-toe with Craig Wu. Um, there, is, there is this question of like who like who is at fault when one party has admitted guilt? Um, you know, the, the, the two parties can only move forward with the truth, Craig says, when someone has wronged in the past. The offending party has an obligation to address that grievance. And this whole time, Sterling is like staring at April, who's in the front row. And April is like waiting for Sterling to drop the hammer. Um, But Sterling is like, 
Oh, and, and the hammer, the hammer is the info from the dossier that right. Craig's mother had an affair with her trainer, which right. is actually info that it seems like Craig himself might not know. Right. That's the thing. Yes. Because he's he's talking about his parents' divorce in this uh, way that suggests he does not know that information. That yeah. Is- as a personal anecdote in the debate. And also we know like from what April has said about her loss to him that she lost because he brought up things about her father and right. he brought up things. We don't know what he said, but he brought up things that she's never told anyone, which of course someone knowing something about her that she's never told anyone is going to be a big, big trigger for April Stevens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so this, I just think this is just so well done. Like, because Sterling is like staring at April and she can't do it because, because she can't do it. She can't do it to this guy, but she also feels like what everything that she is saying or like, that, that that he is saying are like the the things that she feels like she owes to April in this moment. And in order to, it's like this ca- beautiful catch 22 where like in order, she feels like in order to give April that she can't, um, she can't continue arguing this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, it's really nice. Like in order to defeat Darth Vader, Luke cannot go to the dark side he has to reject the dark side, but the only way he'll be strong enough to defeat Vader is if he goes to the dark side. So it's like April cannot, like April cannot, uh, <laughs> Sterling cannot, Sterling cannot go there uh, because it'll change who she is as a person. And she's not, she's not going to do that. Her moral compass is too strong. Yep. Yes. So she concedes. And uh, that that Wu has a great point, and he wins. And April is horrified and drags Sterling out of the room by her arm and uh, yells at Sterling that, you know, she couldn't be mean this one time. Sterling apologizes for what happened in fifth grade. April doesn't want her apology. She needed a win. Uh, Sterling replies that healing our relationship is bigger than a win. Says the person who always wins, April Snap. Oh, so such a good line and so true. And also, like, knowing what we know about, like, Team Stevens and the importance of winning in that household, like, such a powerful line. Um, I took a note here, like, there's also a lot of Spencer in April Stevens as well. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And then, um, and then there's like a, a more intense arm grab. How would you categorize this this arm grab? Because this is an arm grab in a in a different category than some of the other arm grabs. Um, yeah, it is. It is like uh, it is a more intense arm grab. It's not like like before when April grabbed her arm, it was to yank her out of the room. Uh, and here we see right. it like it's not to move her. It's to like. It's to like force her to pay attention to what April is saying. And this is an arm grab where like almost as soon as it happens, you see that like there is an electric charge to this interaction. Yes. That that sort of shocks them both. Yes. I would say. Yes. Yeah, both you, kind you of like don't like you you get what's happening on Sterling's side. And April, 
like April does let go of her arm like very suddenly like as if she too has been burned but you don't really know what that is like it might be that April just realized she lost her temper it might be that she felt something too but it's like it's not known it's left it's left somewhat ambiguous I think yeah 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 she so April says you know you screwed me over then and you screwed me over now she thought their relationship couldn't get any worse and she was wrong and she storms off uh the music the music that is the like i'm inconveniently turned on right now music <laughs> from episode 1 starts starts a playing and uh craig woo comes up and congratulates sterling but sterling sterling needs to needs to be somewhere else she has no time for him she like blows past him like he is a butterfly she did not even see and uh, what is uh, where where does Sterling need to go, Joanna? What does she need to go do? What 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 could she possibly need to take care of so urgently in this moment? Well, she needs to like run back down to I don't know. It's like a, a I don't know if it's a supply room. I guess it's a supply room because we see other closet. kids in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a supply closet that she runs into, uh, and she she needs to take all of Blair's suggestions about masturbating right the fuck now while thinking about April's face, April's voice, April's lips, and most particularly April grabbing her arm. Yes. So to the point that she has to recreate the arm grab for herself. (laughs) Yes. At a crucial moment. Yes. And that it really, uh, this is, this is the moment that gets her over the top. Like earlier in the episode, yeah. Blair was describing it uh, as what is she? She says like she saw flames or like fire dancers or people eating fire, fireworks, <laughs> like whatever. There was like fire, and uh, yeah. yeah, this this is the moment uh, that gets Sterling to that place. Yeah, and Sterling had been like she was like oh yeah like I saw God's face and like she was like badly like playing along <laughs> with that. You know, oh like, God. Yeah, she saw God, and he asked about their dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Chloe was so nice. Yes, yes. Oh. and um, yeah. This is this is the moment that this is that this is a. I would say this is like a this is like a game changing moment. This is like a jaw dropping moment right here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It changes the entire trajectory of the story. And the trajectory of, like, Sterling's life where she thought it was going and where it's going to go from here. I completely agree. I also feel like on a meta level, this is kind of a game-changing moment. I don't think I've ever seen a scene quite like this. Oh, I, I totally, I totally agree. And we've talked about this before, about how a lot of shows, it's like one character is out and then the other character is going to be, like, kind of like handheld through the coming out process with them. This is like a character realizing like on her own, that these, these are feelings that she is having for someone else. And you don't know, you don't know what April's deal is yet. You don't know how that's going to go. So you see Sterling discovering this largely on her own. And you also see Sterling discovering this, like while she is masturbating and having her first, first orgasm, which is like, I mean, tell me another show. I was actually trying to think of another show that, like, deals with, like, female masturbation in this way. And I I haven't watched... Have you watched all of Mrs. Fletcher? I, I haven't, but I feel like maybe that does. There, 
Yeah, I think that, yeah, there is, there is, de- that's definitely an element of that show. I also feel like I can't point to a specific moment. I feel like Broad City, there's probably something on Broad City, but it's definitely would be treated much more comedically. I, I was trying to think of Sex in the City, if there were, like, that seemed like something that might have oh. been on there, but I couldn't come up with, the only specific moments I could come up with were in Mad Men, and one is Betty Draper and the washing machine after the air conditioning salesman tries to sell her that air conditioner, yeah. and she, like, fantasizes about him. And then also Mad Men, when Sally Draper touches herself at the sleepover and then gets, like, hugely shamed for it and has to go to therapy. <laughs> Poor Sally Draper. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, it's been portrayed on, female masturbation has been portrayed on TV. But before. never like this. Never like this. And never as, uh, never as, like, as like a sexual awakening in this way. Never as, like, a Set, being centered around a queer character I actually have a whole list of things that I love about this moment oh um, please tell me I, tell I was, me all of them happy to happy to share um you know I love this it's it just in terms of a moment with like how it's how it's filmed how it's staged all of that like it's it's just a very well done moment like it's emotional it's momentous it's sexy it's fun it centers Sterling's sexual awakening it lets a queer character feel desire and a teenage girl feel desire it adds an element to a relationship that already has quite a charge to it, but it's been a charge that hasn't necessarily been in this context yet. It's surprising, but it makes so much sense in the larger context of this character and this relationship, and it doesn't hinge on the feelings being reciprocated. It tells us a lot about what's interesting and exciting to Sterling as a character. Um, it lets her lead her her sexual awakening and her potential understanding of her own queerness with desire and interest rather than fear. Um, it gives us a more specific entry into what turns Sterling on than what que- queer characters typically get, which deepens our understanding of the character, i.e. it's not just she likes girls, it's that she's turned on by this specific energy and interaction. Um, I love the detail that the shots of April are not just from their fight. They're from like other moments or potential fantasies um, that kind of gives the impression that this is something that's been dormant in Sterling for a while. Um, And I love that what turns Sterling on isn't an explicitly sexual moment between uh, between she and April. It's a moment of passion, which is what her life has been missing she wants to feel things. She wants to stand on the mountaintop like Mr. Koontz. I agree with you 110% about everything on that list. Um, I'm also like kind of echoing what you said. I, I just, I love um, that we get to see like this unapologetic sexuality for a queer woman. Because I yeah. feel like so many times on shows... Like on PLL, for example, the ankle brushing of of Emerson, you know, or like the um, oh man, what's the oh South of of Nowhere? Is that the show where they were like they run away together and then they brush each other's hair on the bed in the hotel? <laughs> like, I mean, come on, <laughs> I I just I really like uh, that you get it, it's it's very unapologetic queer sexuality in the same way 
that like Blair and Miles are allowed to be unapologetic in their desire yeah. for one another. And like unapologetic in the way that Blair talks about it later when she's talking about how many times they did it and what it felt like and how she mapped it out for him. Like it gets to be unapologetic in that same way. It's unapologetic in the way that like queer men are almost always allowed to have this like primal unapologetic sexuality. Like, like one of the main backstories in Queer as Folk is how Brian and Michael were like masturbating together to a magazine when they were kids. And then Michael's mom walked in on them. Like that level, um, that level is just something I feel like we don't get queer women afforded a lot of times, unless it's like these queer women are making out, but the male gaze is like right here. It's like right here peering through the camera lens uh, in the way of like, uh, maybe the L word when like uh, dur- during the season where Mark was filming everyone and you oh, saw God. Shane, uh, you saw Shane fucking the, the delivery girl uh, on the couch. Like then maybe you get to see it, but it's like, as I said, very male gazy. Um, so I, I love that it's, it's not those things that it is unapologetic uh, sexuality for a queer woman. I love that it's not about the dudes at all. The dudes just completely fade into the background. And you get the sense that none of all the pretty extensive making out we've seen Sterling do with them just pales in comparison, uh, like, versus the intensity of this moment uh, with her in April. So I love that. Uh, I love that the, it's not tentative. Like, Sterling doesn't know what this means, but she has no doubt of the rightness of it as she's doing it. Uh, yes. And and also um, just in the world of these, uh, you know, young Christians, uh, and we've seen that, you know, her faith is very important to Sterling. This is a moment of revelation. This is like, Saul on the road to Damascus level of revelation. This is like an archangel has come down to you bearing a message level of revelation. Like this is some new knowledge that has come to you like a bolt of lightning and it must be action. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, this whole idea that she has been chasing and searching for this feeling all episode and really in her relationship with Luke, I think she's doing some reevaluating and, and recognizing that the, the, this degree of, of anything was, did not really exist in, in her relationship with Luke and that it, it hits her. It hits her like this, like it hits her in the chest. It hits her, it like it knocks the wind out of her. It's like a basketball hitting her in the stomach, knocking the wind out of her with its intensity and and suddenness and and ferocity and the way that I, I mean again just to like go back to the way it's it's filmed and shot and everything like the way that the camera like zooms in on Sterling's face staring after April she can't even look Craig Wu in the eyes like she cannot even <laughs> eyes the music is so intense and you know propulsive and then that she it's like it's like she's not even walking to that supply closet. She's being like, it's like the sheer force of the adrenaline of the moment is just carrying her. And it's just, it's so, I mean, it's like, it's filmed like the way that you'd film like, I don't know, like the, like a, like an intense scene in like a crime movie or something. Like somebody, you know, like an Ocean's Eleven, like somebody stealing the diamond or whatever. Like it's, it's so, 
it's given this like dramatic um dr- dramatic thrust for lack of a better word that <laughs> is um just it 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 highlights the moment as being as momentous as we as it needs to be and as we want it to be you know and it's 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 saying like hey everybody pay attention this is very important Yes. Um, one of my, a book that I really love is um, In This House of Breed, which is about, uh, it's about nuns uh, in a monastery together. And uh, a lot of it is about like experiencing like the calling for a vocation. And mm. there's, uh, there's a line in there about like, for some, like the call was urgent and clear. And it's like the voice of God is urgent and clear. And this is a moment when Sterling's need is urgent and clear, like both of those yes. things, like Craig Wu does not matter even a little, like it's just, she is making, as you said, like just the place where she is preordained to be is in that supply closet, having this experience. And she needs to get to that point right now. And I love that this is another experience that she's having alone. You know, that yeah. she's sort of gone on this little mini journey of recognizing the value of being alone. And um, I just I just think it's like it's this brilliant needle that they thread where it's a moment that is completely about Sterling and completely about her experience of her own sexuality and her getting to own that. And it's also this like shippy moment at the same time like it ends up somehow being both in this way that um is really just really masterful and and yeah yeah and i i just feel like sterling is like it's it's recasting what is possible like at the beginning of this episode when blair is being like all i i know everything because i had sex five minutes ago um and she's talking to Sterling about having an orgasm and like talking to your partner and telling them what you want. Like you get the sense Sterling doesn't say it, but you get the sense she's not sure that's possible for her. Like she's not sure it's an option. That's like even on the table, just as like winning, winning the debate today doesn't seem like something that Sterling thought was an option. Like, but the possibilities of her life are being recast moment to moment as she moves to this day. Well, just as she said in the last episode, she's learning things about herself that she likes that she didn't even know that she liked. For sure. And I also like the way that like all of the things that we have heard her ever say about Luke, like, and you know, there's no doubt Sterling did love Luke. She did have affection for Luke. She does have friendship for Luke, but everything she's ever said, like earlier, she talks about how she watched a sad movie to try to cry. And then she just felt really like happy and smart because it had subtitles and Blair's like, Oh yeah, Luke could never like, you know, he could never watch a movie with subtitles with you. He reads so slow. And Sterling's like, Oh yeah. Why would I read a movie? Do I drink meatloaf? Like, you know, it's, all of the things that she has voiced about perhaps being shortcomings are things that you know she could do with April. They could watch movies with subtitles. Sure. They can have adult conversations. Like, you, you, you sense in this moment that everything fits. Everything falls into place. Like, 
this is what Sterling needs, like, in a romantic partner. Well, and I I also love, I mean, I kind of talked about it in my long, long list, but I also love that, like, we're, like, something that is so rare, especially with female characters, especially with queer female characters, is, like, getting an insight into, like, what is something that turns them on? What is something specifically that, like, they like in bed or like the idea of in bed? Like, what is, um, you know, it's, like, what what is, like, specific to their sexuality and their, you know, um, like, yeah, like, what is, what, what turns them on? And I, I like that, like, we get a little window into that with this, that, like, Sterling would probably really like if April was kind of demanding with her in a sexual experience or grabbed her arm in a sexual experience. And like, that feels so like revolutionary, you know? I, yeah, I totally, I totally agree that we're getting like, like you were saying, it manages to be like a solo moment and a shippy moment at the same time. Yeah. It also manages to be like, we're getting an exterior view of a very interior window uh, into this character simultaneously. Right. Right. And um, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, it's really well done. And like I said, I also just, I'm I'm mentioning it again, just because I, I, this is something I really appreciated on the rewatch is like that those, that those little scenes that she, or those little images of April are not just, from the conversation they've just had. Like they're images that either her brain is manufacturing or that she's personally witnessed before. And either way, the implication there being this exactly what Sterling will later speak to. Like, this isn't just something that's popping up right now. This is something that like has been there in their relationship in some sense. It's just like now she's kind of beginning to put the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Oh, it's a great moment. And it, like we were talking, this is like th- the fact that the show crafted this moment is like one of the reasons that the show deserves to keep existing because this is really, yeah. it's really important and it's not something that we've seen before. Like this is something that feels like it could only come from this show. And it's just, it's something that we didn't even know that we needed until we got it here. Yeah, it it is. It's, it's, it's what was okay so let me ask you this like what was your reaction the first time you watched this scene um well I had been like I I had been on like you know which which one is going to be queer because I went into it unspoiled um and when I saw when I saw that arm grab and the way that they both reacted to it, I was like, because I'd been kind of hoping that maybe it was going to be the two of them like I wasn't sure but I was hoping it would and I saw the arm grab, and I was like, yes, yes, it's going to happen. Uh, but I was not at all prepared for, for what came next. Could I was, be. I, right. I mean, I feel like my face was probably, like, sterling in the strip club. Like, my mouth might have been <laughs> open as I was like, oh, oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, I, I was, like, I was cheering because, like, the ship that I was yeah. hoping for looked like it was maybe going to happen. And uh, I was also just, like... It, it was just like a totally new, like seeing that on television was just like a totally new experience. I felt like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I binged the entire show on a day when I was homesick from work and was like 
totally bleary eyed by the time I got to that episode. Somehow I had I had read or heard that the that it got queer in episode six. Hmm. I don't, but I didn't know what that like. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know who who it, who that included or or anything. I just some I read somewhere like episode six is where it gets queer. Um, and so I was kind of like you know all episode like waiting for it, and then that music kicked in, and I was like, hmm. And then, and then, it was, and then it was like, oh my god! Like this is this they're they're going there. They're really going there, because you see, I mean, the way that the, it's constructed too. Like you see Sterling masturbating, and you're like, oh wow! Like great, Sterling's masturbating. That's awesome. And then it flashes to what she's thinking about, and you're like, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah and it's a really well done. Like it's it's really well shot like you see what sterling like it's unmistakable what sterling is doing but it's also like it's like she's still wearing her whole uniform uh she's like you you see her grabbing her her arm like it's it's really it's really really well done because you get so much uh from from what they're giving you in terms of like the flashes of what she's thinking and the shots of what she's doing it's just really it's very artfully crafted, I feel. And it's not male gazy in the least. I mean, I think no, that's no. what makes it like the like the detail of the arm grab, for example, like her grabbing her own arm, like that feels so specific and um like lived in, you know, and is so not like none of it feels like it's being filtered through uh, a a male perspective or a male gaze of like what this moment should look like. Yeah, and also that it's nothing like what Blair was telling her to do. Like, this is something that she is discovering wholly on her own. Yes, exactly. Wow. Well, do we have more to say about this particular moment? I mean, I feel like we could talk about it forever, but it was just, yeah, it, it blew me away. Yeah, and and then she has her little reaction afterwards of like, huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was an unexpected moment, (laughs) which I love. I mean, I just I love the way that Sterling will like embrace this new information about herself uh, in the in the episodes to come. It's it's really great. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. One hundred percent. Also, just I feel like think about all of the shows um, that have existed and like you never saw any of the characters masturbate or thinking about masturbating even one time like PLL. For example. Right. Do we. I feel like. Is there ever a scene where like it's implied that Spencer masturbates? There's like a joke about a back massager at one point. But it's like. I mean it's like a blink and you miss it. I do not believe for one second. That Spencer Hastings. <laughs> like knowing everything we know about Spencer Hastings. Like. Oh my has, god. He's a curated vibrator collection. <laughs> like I, I will accept no other. Yeah, yeah, but like th- no, that's like no, a world no, where that. <laughs> that's like a world where like that part of someone's sexuality doesn't exist. It like it it just it's in the nightstand drawer. It is not spoken of. Yeah, yeah, that's it's that's true. That's true. Yeah, to see it just out here is it. Yeah, it's it's great. Oh, you know a recent show that um is is showing teenage girls masturbating. It's a very different show from this show, but uh, Pen Fifteen. Oh, okay. I have not watched that yet, but I will. I I thought about trying to to Google 
like are there other shows that have that but it felt like it was going to destroy my search history forever if I tried to like any any way that I thought about trying to google it I was like well that that would be a bad idea I'm just gonna have to go with whatever my brain can come up with yeah yeah you'd get some you'd get some some search results I didn't want to I didn't want to wind up on the dark web I didn't no did not want no I that just I just have to share a funny story that just reminds me of a funny story that I want to share, which is that um, I was once with with some this was a few years ago. I was with some friends and um, there was a there was a joke from 30 Rock that I was trying to recall and I could not remember the joke. And I and the joke had the phrase nympho co-ed in it. So I don't know why my brain was just not working that day, but I Googled the phrase nympho co-ed. And <gasps> the joke of 30 Rock did not come up. <laughs> but a lot of other search results did. Oh, oh man. So I just, I just thought I'd share that anecdote of me just m- making a bad choice. <laughs> making a not very well thought out choice. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know what? I'm gonna say a show that does actually uh, have female masturbation, but it's not a, a teenager. Obviously, uh, is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because Rebecca. But it's it's not like the song isn't about masturbation. It's about when she's procrastinating going outside. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like masturbation has to come up a few times on that show. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there also there is I I know it comes up on Sex in the City. I mean, there's the whole thing where where Miranda's cleaning lady replaces her vibrator with a Virgin Mary statue. <laughs> right there, see you 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 know that show better than I do. So I was like, you you might have something for that. Oh yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of that on that on that show. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. And so we we're actually going to leave the supply closet. We're actually going to move on. I think. <laughs> Um, if we must, if I we mean, must. existentially, we will always be in the supply closet. Yes, with Sterling and April. Exactly, exactly. Um, also, do you think that April is somewhere else in the school in another supply closet? <laughs> well, that's a great question. I mean, that's the question of like, what is April taking away from that moment? You know, um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like. Um, I feel like she she looks confused to me. She looks like she sort of shocked herself in that moment in the expression on her face. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways to interpret that. Like, has she just let her guard down and sort of showed her cards too much? But, like, what cards does she feel like she's shown, you know? Right. I think that's a really good question. I think that, I th- uh, yeah, I feel like like April is there's probably some prayer happening and then there might be some other things happening. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, we go back to Blair who is in her car having followed her mom to a, like a storage locker where uh, Debbie pulls out a, like a rifle and, uh, and shoots a wall. And also I think she doesn't, she have some, some cash. Yeah, she takes a bunch of money out of an old trunk and puts it in her purse. Like yeah. stacks, thick stacks of bills. And I love the look on Blair's face of like, oh God, what it like she this is not fun anymore. She looks genuinely terrified. 
Yeah. But also, like, speaking to, like, how Blair interacts with the world and interacts with her mom, she doesn't go confront her. She, like, slouches down and wishes to not be seen. Right. Right. And there, and, yeah, it's, this is, she's, yeah, she looks, she looks kind of freaked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She also, um, she doesn't take a picture of it. You know, like, she's not, like, she's not recording it like for proof for later she's just experiencing it and she doesn't really know what to do it's a great point it's a great point um and that's the end of the episode that's the end of master debater wow what an episode what a ride a wild wild ride wow i yeah i oof. what 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 do we even say that we haven't already said i this launches the sterling april ship officially um and I'm I'm so glad to sail on it through the rest of the, the time that the show is gonna exist for. Me too. Me too. Yeah. This is like what a what a what a way to what a way to start your ship off. I mean, just hats off. It's it's confident. It's a confident beginning. It really is. Um the next two episodes are cleave or whatever, and from basic to telenovela. Um, Every episode from here on out is just a banger. Like these two were great to talk about. And I feel like we're going to have so much fun with the rest of the season too. I know I am too. I really hope that, that we will hear in the coming weeks, like hopefully even before we're finished with this little rewatch that, that the show has been picked up somewhere else. I, that is my sincere wish. Yeah, it deserves, I mean, it richly deserves a second season. The writing is so confident. The premise is so fresh. Um, If if the issue is that, like, this moment is not the moment to have a show about bounty hunters, I mean, change it up however you need to. Skip to the future. Have them be lawyers. I don't care. I just, I want more of of the magic that the show has to offer. Yeah, I I do too. I want to spend more time with these characters. I really love these characters and I I want to I want to spend more time with them. Yeah. 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 If I mean, like you said, be be glad that it happened. Um I'm really glad that we have this perfect season of television uh to watch and enjoy, but I wish that we had two or three or four or more seasons as well. Me too. Me too. Um, and sign that, that change, that change.org petition, if, at, for whatever that's worth, like, mm-hmm. tweet about the yeah. show, I mean, I, I feel like there are people who are more knowledgeable and, and organized about, like, how to, like, the best ways to, to, to do this around, like, Twitter trending hashtags, this is clearly, like, not my area of expertise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do, do whatever you have to do to demonstrate, like, the intensity of your fandom, uh, and you know, hope that that hope that that makes a difference. Exactly, exactly. Well, if you have thoughts on these episodes, you can of course send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail dot com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. Uh, you can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, this is so fun, and I'm so happy that this show exists in in whatever form that it that it will hopefully continue. And even if not, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift to us. So I'm glad we get to talk about it. 
It is. It's fun. It's a joy. It's self-care in these difficult times. So keep watching. Rewatch it as much as you want. Tell your friends to watch it. Um, and hopefully that'll carry us through to next week. That's right. Till then. Take care. Peace.